Well, good morning. Hey, we are in week four of our Acts series, the book of Acts, Birth of a Movement. If you have missed some of the weeks previous, I would encourage you to go back and catch those. We're still in the, still in the early phases, and um, we are looking at this book of the Bible um, after Jesus has ascended and the Spirit has come to see what it means for us, the orchard, to be a movement, right? And just as some review, last week, for those because no one, everyone who wasn't here heard the podcast or iTunes, I know, I know, what is the Hebrew name for the celebration of Pentecost? Shavuot, Shavuot. all right. Everybody, anybody else agree? Yeah, everybody agrees. There you go. Okay, worked out pretty good right there. Shavuot, and on, on Pentecost, last week we talked that something happened. Um, on Pentecost, Pentecost, I'm already speaking in tongues, in Pentecost, <laughs> in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God did something that changed everything. He changed the spiritual rules for engagement. It was a big deal. It's a big shift. And so last week is the hinge that the New Testament kind of turns on for the believers of Jesus. And at Pentecost, Rabbi Vanderlaan said that God changed his address. He went from a 1,200-foot temple built to the last millimeter to God's specifications. It was beautiful, coated in gold. It was glorious. And God was in the Holy of Holies, and he looked out at the hearts of his children and said, I want to choose to live there. And so he chose the beautiful, messy hearts of imperfect people over the staggering perfection of the temple. Interesting, even though God did this, we still somehow believe that he resides in a temple or a building. Like when people go, oh man, I, got, I need some God, I gotta, get, I gotta go to church, we gotta go to church and get God. And I just want to remind us that God left the monument for the movement, Okay, he left the building. Jesus, God, has left the building. And, and I should really remind you, the, this building, these four walls and the gathering center and all that's happening here, this building is no more holy than the school next door or your house. This is the, the wood and the steel and all those things. There's nothing holy about that. God does not reside in a temple or a building anymore. He resides in the temple of the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. So, amen. At Pentecost, God moved from the temple, a monument, into the hearts of his people, the movement. And when he did this, the people that he moved, when he indwelled them, everything changed. It's fascinating. Everything changes. We see that their fears, their boldness, their actions, their speech, everything about them is transformed when God chooses to inhabit the people. When the Spirit comes, we see miraculous things happening. And here in Acts 2, we're going to look at three ways, three miraculous things in Acts 2 that happened when the Spirit came. The first one is, and we kind of went through this yesterday, but I'm going to open it up a little bit. Um, All the disciples, when when the tongues of fire landed on them, they began to speak, and everyone heard it in their own language. Now, this is like a missionary gift. They were speaking a language, and people said, we hear them in our native tongue. Remember, there were pilgrims there from all over the uh, ancient world right then. They were there for Shavuot, for Pentecost, and each heard them in their own language, powered by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you speak two languages, you might be okay in your second language, but what does your heart speak? Your heart speaks your native tongue, and for some of these people, this might have been the first time that some of these nationalities had heard the wonders of God in their native language. And I gotta tell you, this is no small thing. This is a huge declaration from God. See, God is no longer held in one place or his word read by one priest in one temple in one language, and it's even a shift from Jesus. Let's just take that. 
What God is doing with the Spirit is a shift from what he did with Jesus. Jesus was the manifestation of God in one man, in one place, with one voice, at one time. And the Holy Spirit shows up and declares, I am for all people, I am in all places, I speak all languages, and I am in all time. Like the, 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 the rules are different for the Holy Spirit. The game board is immediately changed. It was Jesus, one man who was fully God, who traveled around speaking. But now God, in a man and in women, goes to the ends of the earth speaking. There's a mighty big leap here. This is a huge shift. And there's something I have to ask us here that, that, that's below and inside this whole thing. And that is this. Do you believe in miracles? Like we know when we, we did the book of Luke, like we know Jesus did miracles. He's Jesus. He's God. He does what he wants. Of course he does miracles. He's God. But we look at the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit does miracles? Holy Spirit is God. And the Bible is clear that the Spirit of God lives within those who claim Jesus as Savior. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, we must ask, is he dormant? Is he active? Is he just there securing and keeping our salvation and that's it? Or as the Bible suggests, is he empowering us to live godly lives, choosing godly things, giving us peace and power in real time? If we believe that the Spirit of God lives in us and works miracles, we have to ask, can these miracles happen in our life now? Can they happen through our life? Can they happen through our words and through our prayers as we ask God these things? And I just want to tell you, I believe in a Holy Spirit that is powerful enough to heal. I believe in a Holy Spirit that gives us insight and wisdom beyond this realm. I believe in a Holy Spirit that gives discernment beyond ourselves. I believe in a Holy Spirit that is fluent in every tongue on earth and in heaven. I believe in a Holy Spirit that does miracles with the same power that Jesus did. And I believe he still does them today. I believe the Holy Spirit is active today. In Acts 2, the first way the Spirit comes was they all heard in their own language. The second way is this. Peter gets up to speak a sermon. And God does something different. You see, initially, the Spirit translated all the disciples' words into many languages. But now, Peter alone is going to preach a sermon, and the Spirit translates his words to many hearts. The Spirit of God knows the hearts of his people, just as God did, just as we saw Jesus did in Luke. So when the sermon goes out, the Spirit takes it and translates it to the heart of those, hearts of those listening. I pray this every week. We were talking, and Charlie, we, he prays this every time he speaks. We pray this. God, I am preaching, and over 300 people will hear this sermon. That's 300 different filters. That's every single one has, every single one of us, every, me included, has a filter of our past church experience that the sermon goes through. A filter of our beliefs about God and spirituality. A filter about our hurts and hope and our expectations of a church. So I could speak one message and 300 people hear it and there's 300 different messages, ways to hear that sermon. We were just joking about this with the elders this week and uh, I, I can literally, I could speak a sermon on reading God's word. And after the sermon, someone could walk up and go, I really resonated with that baptism sermon. Or another person could walk up and say, preacher, you got me today. That's the best sermon on the dangers of fake news I've ever heard. Another, another person could leave going, all they talk about is money. 
Like, like we all have our filter. I'm t- it's, it's funny, but it's true. We all have our filter, and we're all going to leave this sermon going, that was the greatest sermon of the Holy Spirit. He mentioned the Holy Spirit? Like, we're all, there, there's filters. And depending on where you've been, where you come from, you hear things differently. So I pray, we pray, that God would take whatever we say and would translate it to your heart. What I'm telling you here is I take zero responsibility for what you hear that offends you. <laughs> it's probably your fault anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. We pray God takes these words and translates them to exactly what your heart needs. And this was the miracle of Acts 2 because Peter speaks a sermon that is so Peter. Remember Peter? Pulling out a sword, cutting off ears, jumping in water, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, impulsive, hot-headed. He didn't change personalities overnight. He's still that guy. And his first sermon goes like this in a nutshell. Jesus was sent by God and you killed him. Good job. Read it. I always wonder what would happen if Jesus had preached this sermon. Because Peter preaches it, and it's so Peter. But the Spirit translates it. In verse 37, it says, the people were cut to the heart. And in verse 41, they accepted the message and were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number from that sermon. That's a lot of fire and brimstone. I'm thinking about dusting that one off and just trying it and seeing if we have 3,000 sometime. When the Spirit moves, life blossoms. When he translates, hearts open. And Acts 2 and today, when the Spirit of God can translate a sermon, podcast, book, circumstance, or a song to your heart in a new way, the way that you need it most. The third way the Spirit works in power in Acts 2 describes the church. And one of our hopes throughout this series, when we did did the Luke series the last two years, our prayer was we would see Jesus in a new light. One of our prayers for this series is that you would see the church in a new light. Because, see, church has gotten a very bad name. We've earned it. A lot of people think we're just judgmental and we're this and we're that. And the church universal, we have done a lot of things and hurt a lot of people. And, and at best, some people think the church is just a building that we go to on Sunday. Some of us believe that. The chur- What's your church? Oh, it's, a, it's over there on Snowmass Drive. The church is a place. Sounds kind of like the Old Testament model. It's a monument that I go to and, and I attend there. But we want to, to see the church as something else. And I want to remind you, Jesus launched the church. He loves the church. He calls the church his bride. He's going to, like, there is affection from Jesus for the church. And the church is not a building, it's a people. We're going to get into this throughout the entire book. But Jesus loves the church, and it means more he could ever imagine. We're going to have some fun with this today. This is is completely and utterly tongue-in-cheek today because I think we've started to look at churches a little different. None of you, but other people in other places are looking for churches based on coffee preference or different things like that. So with a little bit of fun and tongue-in-cheek, we have a video for you today. A little fun there. What is church? What does it become? What is it to us? And remember, we're in this series to find out what did God intend? And so we turn to Acts 2. Uh, we're going to have it on the screens, verses 42 to 47. This is the text we have not read yet. This is new to us. And so let's look at um, what happens after the Holy Spirit comes. They, the people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So we see that's what's happening, and this is the third work of the Spirit. We see the, the hearing in different languages. We see the, the Spirit moving through Peter's sermon and translating the hearts. And here we see a people transformed, a new body of believers, a new paradigm, a new look for what the church is going to— and let's just go through what they did. First of all, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I would love to tell you this means you should devote yourself to the teaching of me. But I think God will, I think it has a little bit more to do that. See, back then, they had no New Testament. They had the Old Testament, and they, God opened their mind to see the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And so the apostles would teach on this, and they would hear this. But listen, today we have the full revelation of the Bible. We have this truth. And so I believe we should um, devote ourselves, not just to the teaching of, that, we, that we hear on podcasts or here on Sundays. You can hear some great teaching. But I think we should d- devote ourselves to the truth we find in God's revelation of his word. We can read about the life of Jesus. We can read the words that these apostles were teaching about back then that were written nowhere. So part of the work in, in, in somebody when the spirit moves is, is a devotion to know the nature of God, to pursue that in your personal life. They devoted themselves to it. Then the second thing was this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's this. The community group at large. The church gathering had a high value above other priorities. They didn't say, I, I, I like church unless something else comes along. Like, they loved church. They went to an everyday meeting plan. We've considered this. We're thinking about this, and so we'll let you know how that goes. We're going to stick with two services on Sunday, but you can tell they had a high priority on this. And I just want to ask, Orchard, what does your lifestyle reveal about the value you put on being the church? Not the church building, not coming to church, but gathering as the church. What does your lifestyle say about that? Last week we had three guys um, come to the 8.30 service and by noon they were posting pictures of them in powder up there on the mountain. And I thought, yes, that, you know, the 8.30 service hit the service and then hit the slopes. And, but, and, but they valued coming here and not only because like, I want them to be here for attendance, but honestly, um, they are a part of us. We all miss out when people aren't here. We, we the people, are church. Part of the early church here is a high value of the gathering of believers. And in Acts 2, they knew they were the church. It didn't occur to them to go to church. We are the church. They, didn't, they wouldn't know what you meant if you said, hey, let's skip church. I, I am church. They identified with it. There, there was a paradigm shift where they didn't skip or go. They were. Then they said they uh, dedicated themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is inviting people into your home, into your life, having a meal, having communion and community. This is intentional Christ-centered relationships. This is growth groups for us in a big way. If you're a part of a growth group, you, you, are, um, you are a part of this intentional relationships. And if you're not in a growth group and you're a part of the orchard, I would encourage you to find one. We have one after the first service. You can't really go to that one. We're thinking about doing one after the second service. We're going to. Tom tells me we are. We, we what? We do have one. What room and what time? 206, right after this service, go up there and try out a growth group. Um, and, and during the week we have these, see Tom, sign up, go online and, and, and sign up there as well. But it's intentional community. They devoted themselves to prayer, and I love this. Despite all the results they were seeing, people added to their number daily, they continued to pray, God, do more. These were people of a movement. They wanted more of God's nature, more of God's presence, and they weren't satisfied with yesterday's testimonies and yesterday's stories. 
They wanted fresh testimony and fresh stories of God transforming people's lives. So they prayed, God, move in our midst, move in our people, soften hearts, convict us. And and I I gotta tell you, we have prayer here before service in the boardroom. If you want to come and be a part of the people that pray, you are prayed over already today that the Spirit would translate to your heart and you would move. And if you want to be a part of those devoted to praying for this service and this church, meet uh, 15 minutes before service starts in the boardroom. Also, it says they had everything in common because they chose Jesus as their highest value. This is a church that has Jesus at its head. And when Jesus is the head and the highest value, the Holy Spirit can bring those people into something called supernatural unity. The effect of the Spirit is unity that goes beyond past experience even doctrinal differences or worship preferences or relational conflicts the spirit when jesus is the head the spirit can bring those under into unity because it's all about jesus it's not about my worship preference as much as it's all about jesus you know the power of the holy spirit leads to this unity and charlie and i we've experienced this we live this another effect of the spirit here is the supernatural generosity They sold property and possessions to give to any in need. They knew what was temporary and they knew what was eternal. And they leveraged what was temporary for the eternal. They saw that in their own lives. They know God has resourced me in all these different ways, but it's all temporary. I'm going to leverage it for what is eternal. This church was beautiful, it was powerful, it was effective. The Holy Spirit was active in their midst, and this church we read about is a movement, and we're going to see it gather steam. It says here, the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. We had a baptism in first service, and uh, today, or this, this week, during we were in a church meeting, a bunch of leaders in the meeting, and, and it, it gets interrupted. Someone interrupted a church meeting to tell us And this guy had tears in his eyes. I received Jesus today. I want to get baptized on Sunday. Let's do that. You know, interrupt all you want, man. And so it was so cool to see. um, He's an 830 attender, so he was, we we were going to dunk him twice, but he didn't know about that. And so, (laughs) balls in your court, 10 o'clock. And so, um, but it's so cool to see the movement begin to happen. But here's, here's a danger. And we've seen this in Western culture. We've attended this. We've been a part of this. It's in us. We need to be cautious of it. There are things listed in Acts 2 that when they're absent, the movement starts to slow down and eventually grinds to a halt. And sadly, the movement turns into a monument. You see, a monument is when a movement of God grinds to a stop and the people view the church as another temple, a special holy place they go to to get God. A monument is when people unwittingly hope God will go back to his old ways of residing in a building so that we can go and fill up on the weekend. It's a group of people who identify themselves more with a structure than identifying themselves with a savior. It's a group of people, a monument is where a religion is stagnant inside the four walls when it should be most active outside of the building. A monument is where faith is pulled out on Sunday but tucked back away on Monday. A monument is where people prefer denomination over redemption. A monument happens when we choose religious activity with God over relational, inti- relational intimacy with God. It may not be true of us. A 
monument is created when our preference on worship music becomes more important than worship. Where there's a monument, Bibles and faith and movements gather dust. In a monument, attenders get complacent. They take no risks. They don't step out. They choose comfort over obedience. And God will ask people of a monument faith to move and step out. But sadly, their attendance is the greatest spiritual achievement they'll ever have. God spare us from this. Movements die out, turn into monuments, and then slowly lose all effectiveness, and they become culturally and spiritually irrelevant. And that describes a lot of the church we see. If a church does not have the Holy Spirit active in their midst, and people following and pursuing God in the way we read, then it becomes a monument. And there's a vast difference between a movement that God wants and a monument that it slides and coasts into. You see, a monument needs a building, but a movement only needs a messenger. A monument can fill a room, but a movement can fuel a revival. A monument is a country club pool only f- for those who are allowed in, while a movement is a high country river giving life to all wherever it flows. A monument leads us to spectate, while a movement calls us in to participate. A monument empowers the privileged few, while a movement is powered by the passionate many. A monument hoards what we have in the room, while a movement takes it out of the room to a world that needs it. A movement is just another religious institution. I'm sorry, a monument is a religious institution, and a movement is a spiritual revolution. Choose this day who we will be. God, spare us from being a monument, identifying with a building and a, and a name. And then that's who we are. We, we are the people, are the church. And God wants to draw us and pull us into a movement. What does this region and world need most, Orchard? Does it need another institution? Does it need another monument? It might need a people who finally take Jesus at his word and start loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as their self the way they say they do. A movement of people who finally begin to take Jesus at his word and begin to take bold, risky steps following his spirit. Who do we want to be? A monument with a beautiful building doing church activity or a movement? You see, I believe and Charlie believes that God is calling the orchard into an Acts 2 movement. That we are being called to risk for the sake of redemption. That we are called to obey anything he would ask of us, have a yes for him already ready when he asks us. That we put petty differences aside, we forgive past offenses that happen in this room, and we live in unity together. That we begin to see our possessions as temporary things for eternal purposes. That we dedicate ourselves to the very people in our midst. We mentor, we meet together, we become vulnerable. Perhaps for the first time, we open up about what matters most to a community of God-centered people. A movement of people who want to know God, who want to know his nature, his person, who he says he is, and who he tells us we are. Are we willing to pay the price for this? It doesn't happen by accident. 
It's when people say, yes, I'm in, and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want of me? And then begin to tell the Holy Spirit, I want more of you. Empower us, convict us, fuel us, fire us, show us, speak through us, move through us. May we be the people of God that he wants us to be. As I close this, if you call the orchard your home, let me ask you these things. Do you truly believe that we are the church? This is going to take a paradigm shift for many of us. Because we go to church or we miss church. we got to start thinking as the church. That we, the people, are a movement. We could meet anywhere. Growing up at the church at Redstone, we met in a, a fire station, an old school building. Uh, we went camping. And met the, it doesn't matter. Because we are the church. We could meet anywhere. And wherever you meet, you go as the church. Do we believe we are the church? And do we really believe the paradigm of Acts 2? It's not about buildings, it's about people. And if we can agree on those things, well, then we ask ourselves, do we want to be a movement? And we go, well, oh yeah, of course. No, no, no. Do you really want to be a part of a movement? Because it comes at a price for us. Because if we want to be a part of a movement, it has less to do with what we sit here for an hour and what we say and speak and do and live out there the rest of the week. See, being a movement is about us, the church, people, being the church, filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit, loving God and loving people at work, at home, wherever you go. Do you really want to be a part of a movement? Do we really want to see a movement of God stretch us and then begin to add people to our numbers monthly, weekly, daily? See God move in ways we've never imagined. See him grow this place in ways we never thought. Because there is a world out there far from him who needs him. And finally, it's this. If we view ourselves as the church, people, then your gifts, your talents, and how God created you are important. Your personality, how he knit you together, if you are the church, then you have, then you have importance. Let me just tell you, Micah, she sat here for two years and no one knew she could do this. She's about to sing a song she wrote right after this. No one knew she could do that. There are gifts in here of each of us for this movement. Is your gift leadership, organization? Are you behind the scenes? Are you in front of the scenes? Can you play? Can you sing? Can you serve? What is it? What is it? How did God knit you together? And then let's all of us step up and bring our gifts to the table because here's the deal. The church is only as strong as the people because it's not the building. Our greatest potential is in this room. I didn't tell 830 that, just FYI. <laughs> For others of you here today, you aren't so sure about this Jesus thing yet. You're not sure about this church thing yet. You have come in at a great place because we are describing the original movement of God and what it looked like. So you are welcome to, to, to come along with us. You are also welcome to ask any question. Nothing is off limits. There's emails in your bulletin. Come find myself or Charlie or a staff member. Listen, we are here for you, but you can come here safely without judgment and find out what it means to follow Jesus and be a part of the church. And as I close this, there's, there's a lot of applications, and I fought through how to land this on because there's so many verses to use here. But I, got, I felt God leading us to something because one thing we're going to do through the book of Acts is find out more of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, that term scares some people. 
Some people it makes them very excited, and some they're like, oh no, here comes the snakes, and the, and the handle, whatever. <laughs> Snake handling. We're not going to do that yet. Oh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I th- God is drawing us to have a more personal connection relationship with the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so during communion today, I want to remind you, communion is not closed. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to be a member here. If you want to come take communion, the symbol of God's sa- Jesus' sacrifice, and thank him for it, you are welcome to. All are welcome. And as you sit there and thank Jesus for all that he's done, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit something. Speak directly to him. Holy Spirit, what would you have of me? What do you want from me in this place? And as you pray more, say, if you have this, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. I want you to move more in my life. Convict me more. Give me more wisdom, more insight, more this. Like, I just want more. Because we're going to see what happens when the Holy Spirit becomes active. Amen? So as we close today, may you close having a moment where you ask the Holy Spirit deeply personal questions and then pause and listen. Jesus, we thank you for your early church. We thank you for these believers who were so bold selling stuff and meeting together daily and just giving up their temporary life for what you would have for them. I pray that in and all through this, you would help the orchard see what you're calling us to. A group of people who say we love you and we love others. And we take it serious, Jesus. I pray that you would translate all of this message the way you need for these people, each of us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be very active, very clear during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.